1: post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today
0: welcome to the dell wamsley radio show (laughs) dell challenges the status quo questions everything and empowers you to return to your core beliefs to make your life better if you're ready to hear the truth and get your roadmap to the lifestyle you really want the next hour will change your life and now, your host, self-made millionaire, national award-winning investor of the year, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Del Wamsley.
2: Welcome to Dell Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. I'm your host, Del Wamsley, and as always, we're working on your financial freedom. Today, my friends, um, I've actually thought out a topic, or really sort of a set of topics that I wanted to cover and I've been thinking about it for a couple days. And I just didn't know how to articulate it. So I gave it a name so I could try to think it through. And the name I gave it was Slow is Fast and Fast is Slow, or more commonly known as How to Start a New Project. What do I mean by this? Well, I have three projects I want to talk about today. Um, one of them. Is a whole new set of tools that I bought, big machine tools, not just little tools, but big machine tools. I redid my whole shop at my house and redid it with over the top industrial type equipment. The second thing I did was I rebuilt a bridge in my backyard that I had been patching for the last 10 years, you know board would rot out. I'd replace the board. Another board rot out. I'd replace the board. The joist got rotted out, so I sistered them up, put wood on both sides and whatever. But I finally had to break down and get the whole bridge replaced. And I, first of all, looked for people to build it, and I could not find somebody to build it. And if somebody would build it, it was going to cost thousands and thousands of dollars to build for what really was going to take $100 worth of wood to build. But it was just... It's an awkward thing to build, and it's even more awkward to put in place. So I've got that project. And the last project is I'm going to talk about something I did last year. Um, I found myself buying grocery stores. It's kind of strange because i it's really not what I do. I'm an apartment guy. Started with single families, moved into apartments. But last year when they started telling people that, hey, you don't have to pay your rent, and you know the liberal government got voted in, almost made like housing a right that we didn't have the right to charge them to live in our assets, uh, it started to worry me. And I looked around for what they weren't messing with. And the one thing they weren't messing with was food. And it was the one business that wasn't shut down. It was an essential business. It was the one business people showed up to go to work at. I don't know why. But for some reason, the grocery stores I went into were fully staffed, didn't seem to be a problem. So I said to myself, self, if this is the only business that's going to survive Corona, maybe we should own some of them. And then I started thinking even deeper, going, well, if you own all the places people live and you own all the places people eat. Wow. That's kind of a powerful two punch position to be in. Uh, And you know, they talk about diversification. I'm not a big believer in diversification, but uh, It's diversifying in a little bit different manner. I also started two software companies last year and I'm not going to talk about those today, but that's just something else that I started on the other side there So as we get into this what I want to talk about is this as I looked across all three of these projects That, by the way, all three of them turned out very well in the end. I noticed that it took me a long time to get started at each and every one of them. Just a very long time. And it didn't really bother me because I I know my nature. My nature is to move slow until I totally understand something and then move fast once I understand it. But while I don't understand it, I want to move slow. And the thought process behind that is pretty simple. It's that you don't even know what you don't know when you start something new. I mean, you don't know it, but you don't even know that you don't know it. That's the real problem. And so when you start a project, the first thing I do is I go to YouTube and YouTube the bejeebers out of it. And watch six, seven, eight, ten different people's story of what they think it's really all about. And what this inevitably does for me, inevitably, it takes me to a place of realizing I don't have any idea what I'm talking about. Which is a good thing. Because then I get out a piece of paper and I start writing terms down. People use words. And until you understand the words The language of the project you're about to start, you can't speak it. And even if somebody speaks it to you, you don't understand it. And so you've got to learn the words. So the first thing, as I watch all these videos, I start writing words down, phrases, topics. And then I go back and I research each one of those words, phrases, or topics. Which inevitably leads me to more questions. Wow, I didn't even realize that I was going to run into that. So I need this to make that happen. So I go look up what this is. And this says, yeah, but you can't have this unless you have three different versions of it. And or you need to realize the version has to match what you're trying to do. And wow, now I need to go learn this. And that becomes the dance. The dance is... You have to have massive peripheral knowledge on whatever it is you're trying to do. Now, I know that every self-help guru out there in the world says, get started, take the steps, fail, make mistakes, you know, mistake your way to success. And I still think that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. I see no reason to make massive mistakes. There's an old saying, there's never enough time nor enough money to do it right. But there's always enough time and money to do it again, which is a total waste of time and money. It just doesn't make sense to do it that way. Yet, all self-help gurus, which tend to be type A personalities, say, run, smash into the wall, fall down, break your arm, get back up and go, oh, there's a door. Instead of looking for the door, right? It just and then when you get to the door, they try to bust the door down instead of realizing there's a handle. And then they pull and pull and pull till they pull the handle off till they realize there's a lock. And what I'm saying is watch a YouTube video and find out there's a door. And that door, then watch a video on it and find out it has a doorknob. And then watch the video and find out that it has a lock. And then run through the wall. The right way. That's the way I see it, guys. It's just different. But I think it's very, very important that you see it that way. Fast is slow, and slow is fast, because I've seen people crater. Now, I'm going to go one step further with this, and like I said, I'm going to come back and talk about these three projects in the next three segments, but I want to talk about what I saw happen in the last two months. The last two months, I saw... Two different members who did rapid acquisitions. I mean, 10, 15 apartment complexes over a year or two period or three year period. And all of a sudden, they couldn't operate it. They could buy it, they could run and get it, but they had not developed the skills to operate that number of units. In fact, in the case, these people did well on their first one or two projects. It's not that they were dummies. It's just they just grew too fast. And what did that lead to? Total devastation of their portfolio. they got to get rid of all of it now because their partners are all irritated and they want their money back because they made no profit because they grew this guy and this gal grew too fast and destroyed everything. So there again, if they just would have gone a little slower, developed the operational skills, and expanded that skill. Because you can have perfectly good skills when you're in a small enough business, you can do everything yourself. But those same skills will do you no good at all once you get into a business where you are no longer operating everything. And you have to have the skills to be able to hire and train people to operate things for you instead of you operating things. If you're born with a hammer, everything in life looks like a nail. But someday you want to learn how to buy a nail gun. And you want to learn how to use it correctly. And how to set its depth and its power. And pick the right nails. But if all you know how to do is swing a hammer, you'll never learn those things. Let's take a short break. Let's think about these things. And when we come back, I'm going to talk to you about my tool, bridge, and grocery store hobbies this last year. We'll be right back with the Del Wobbly Radio Show.
0: Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last.
1: Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.
0: Welcome back. Now here's some more unconventional wisdom to set you free. From the man on a mission to retire America, one person at a time, Dell Wamsley.
2: Welcome back to Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Today we're doing the show called Slow is Fast, Fast is Slow, and How to Start a New Project. And I got three different projects I'd like to get in today. Don't know if I can get them all in because this is, again, a live show. I don't write this stuff down and then do it. I just do it. Um, But the first one we'll start with is my bridge. Had this bridge for about 10, 12 years now, and it's just completely rotted out. It's a big, giant, heavy bridge. And I would patched it and patched it and patch it and patched it. Finally, it had to go. And my first choice is... I would have liked to have just picked up the, the internet, picked up the book or looked in the internet and found one I could buy. Um, but this bridge was too big. I mean, this was like way bigger than any, like, this isn't like a little, you know, garden bridge. This is a big bridge that goes across a big pond, right? And it has to be heavy-duty enough for two or three people to stand on at the same time. And so I looked and looked and looked, and the stuff that I could find that was anywhere near what mine was had a couple problems. Number one, it cost thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, okay? And number two, they sent them to you unbuilt anyway because there's no way something that big could be shipped or mailed to you or delivered to you and if they did you couldn't get it into the backyard and across the pond anyway so i decided i was going to have to build one and i started thinking about okay well how am i going to do this and the first thing i had to figure out was how was i going to get the old bridge out of there You know, you think, well, we can take piece by piece by piece, but eventually there's going to be some stuff that's got to come across that lake, you know, that pond. And so what I did was I went out and bought a 12-foot-long 4 by 6 and threw it across, got two guys to help me throw it across the pond next to the bridge. We picked the bridge up and set it on the 4x6. And we then slid the bridge across the 4x6 to get it off the pond. And then I proceeded to take two or three days to take it apart, literally. Three days to take it apart. That's how big it was. And I had to get all the wood off there and then demo the wood to get it down to where it fit in the trash can so the trash guy would take it. So I did that. But I had solved one problem. I now knew how to get the bridge on and off the pond. It was with this 4x6. So then I decided to design one. And I went out, and uh, I don't have CAD CAM. I do for my train layout, but not for just regular CAD CAM software. So I started, I went back to my old drafting days. I learned drafting when I was in school. And uh, I created an exploded blueprint in other words i drew a picture of what i was going to build and then i exploded the parts off the each and p- pieces off and with measurements and the whole bit and then i designed a way to build it such that it could be built in three different pieces the bottom and the two sides and the reason i did that because there's no way we could pick Whole thing up. Even with four or five guys, we couldn't lift that other bridge. I mean, we could lift it up four or five inches and stick a board under it and slide it, but we couldn't lift it up. We'd never carry it. So I built it in three pieces. That was the first thing I had to design into it was the ability to to take it apart. I built it all in my shop, and then I took it back apart in these three pieces. I then realized that I was going to paint it. And it's winter, you know, uh, I needed a place to paint to be able to do it right. I had to do it inside the shop, but I didn't want to get the shop all covered with paint. So I bought a 25 by 10 paint tent. This thing looks like a bouncy bounce thing your kids would get, right? But it didn't have the bouncy floor. It just has the blow up sides. And I blew that thing up in my motor home garage. I have a motor home garage and for a, you know, a 40 foot by 25 foot, 40 foot, Motorhome, whatever they are, and uh, I blew it up in there, and that became my paint room. And I got out my uh, very expensive spray paint machine, and I proceeded to take these big, giant pieces in there, you know, uh, one piece at a time, and and paint each one of them. So that worked out well, and uh, when I got them all painted then, I realized I had to get them out there, and I got somebody to help me carry them out there, and we put it back together. And uh, once I put it back together, then I put the slats on it. I decided not to put the slats on the bottom to keep the weight off the bottom so we could carry the bottom. It wasn't too heavy to carry and get it across the pond. Once I got it all back together out there, then I put the slats on it. I had already cut the slats. I'd already put the slats on it, but I took them back off again, right? So we could carry the thing. And also I painted the slats separately. Besides, so it wasn't on, didn't cover the wood. I could get the wood on the base all covered and painted and then come back and put the slats all covered and painted and put them together. So I put the whole thing together and we slid it across that board and it worked exactly like we thought it would work. It was amazing. And I sitting there patting myself on the back going, man, that was a really an engineering marvel at a small level. You know, remember, this is a small level. This is man building a bridge. But to do it, and this is what made me start thinking about this, but to do it, I had to completely pre-think the entire project because I could have got out there and not gotten the bridge back on. I could have got the bridge together and, and not been able to paint it. You know, There were so many things that I could have made a mistake that by pre-thinking it out and having a blueprint and a plan, that I was able to do it without any problem. So I see... I think it's very, very important that you get this point that I didn't just dive into that project. That I went at it in a slow, methodical manner. And although it was slow and methodical, it was consistent. And it was fast. It was fast because there was no stopping and going back and recutting boards. No stopping and going back and, oh, my God, that doesn't fit. I'd researched the kind of connectors I wanted to use and I bought the right kind and the right amount. And that took me, I mean, looking up on the internet just to figure out what connectors to use to bolt this thing together was an important point because of what I had to work with. So when I was done, man, I was happy. And that's what I want to get across to you is that when you do this stuff, right, it's very satisfying, very satisfying. Now... I'm going to talk to you next about making some money. I'm going to talk to you about buying grocery stores. I came to this conclusion that, you know, I got to do something different because, first of all, they're not letting us collect rent on our tenants. That just irritated the bejeebers. Now now we are. We're full, 100% collected. In fact, we didn't lose any money at all during the pandemic and the close down anything. anything. Uh, even when we couldn't evict people, we only had two or three people that didn't pay us. But, you know, I've got a little nicer place where a nicer place to attract better people, and we screen people pretty strongly. So we didn't have any problems. We had one or two or three people that uh, had to have payment plans and stuff. But what we went right through that. But that wasn't really it. It was the fact that the government was starting to act like housing was going to be not a privilege to live in your place, but it was their right to live in your place without paying. And when the government started acting like housing was going to be a right and that everybody could get it for free, it scared me. You know, not to the point that I figured I'd go broke or anything, but it scared me that, you know, maybe it's time to look for something else. And I looked around and I found there's only one thing that's not closing down. Everything else is closing down. This one business isn't closing down, and I was going to it almost daily, and that was a grocery store. Grocery stores were open, and people were at work. We'll take a short break. Be right back and talk about grocery store.
0: Welcome back. Now, here's some more unconventional wisdom to set you free from the man on a mission to retire America, one person at a time, Dell Wamsley.
2: Welcome back to Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Today, we're talking about slow is fast, fast is slow, and how to start a new project. We're on to the second project I want to talk about today, which is buying grocery stores. Now, as I said in the last segment, I just decided that, you know, Grocery stores seemed to be the only thing that was open when everything else was closed down. And every day I'd go there, and there was they were fully staffed, and the people were there. And it was amazing. I thought, man, what a great business. This one's not being affected by COVID at all. In fact, they almost sold out in many cases when, you know, all of a sudden any kind of disaster occurs. They sell everything on their shelves, man. It's just amazing. So I, I thought, let's take a look at this. So, the first thing I did was, I, I, again, we start at the beginning. you got to start with information because you don't have any idea of what it is you're looking at, what it is and what you don't know, and what you don't know what you don't know. And so, uh, I went and looked up ads um, in commercial real estate listings. And the first thing I noticed was that there's probably only like three guys, maybe four, sold 90% of all these grocery stores that were for sale all over the country. It's like they'd specialized in them or something, right? And I went to the first guy and started negotiating on a deal with him and, you know, trying to get the lay of the land and got him to spend a lot of time with me and tell me stuff. But I irritated the guy by not knowing what I was doing, trying to parallel to what I already knew, which is the apartment business and trying to act like I knew because I knew what I was doing in the apartment business. I couldn't get that far with the guy, and one day, uh, I made a mistake of calling the guy up because he wasn't taking my offer. They were, they, they were declining my offer I was making on something, which is a lowball offer, by the way, which is, again, something that you just don't do in commercial real estate. You don't do it in residential real estate, really, anymore. But the lowball offer was something I thought, because who's buying grocery stores in the middle of a pandemic? And I irritated the guy. So, I only had two other guys I could work with at that point, and I do work with both of them now. But... I called another one of them up, and I, again, said, look, I just irritated this guy, and I know you guys got to know each other. Oh, yeah, we all know each other, but there's three guys that do this stuff. I said, man, I'm really sorry. I tried to tell the guy I'm sorry, but I can tell he's not going to work with me. Are you willing to work with me? And the guy said, yeah. And so, I just started again, but this time slower, not trying to get it all beat out of him in one sitting. I worked with him to ask a few questions. I'd go research and come back and ask a few more questions. And I started watching some YouTube stuff. And then I started uh, reading some stuff on the internet and studying on the internet. And then I had the guy start sending me listings and so forth. And as he'd send me listings, I would ask questions about the listing and, and then ask him, how do you analyze these deals? And how do you value these deals, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And slowly but surely, he got me trained up. And um, I had a little bit of an understanding about what I was doing at that point. And the more I did it, the more I started putting parallels together in my mind about how it should work. And what I found was that because there wasn't as high a demand for grocery stores as there was for apartment complexes, what I found was I was able to go out and buy grocery stores for a much, much better price than I could buy apartment complexes for because there was no competition. So, I started getting into it, and I bought one. I put an offer on one, renegotiated it, and then I had to go then get an attorney for this kind of work. I found that I was buying them in all different states. I own them in, right now, seven, eight different states, and I found I needed an attorney that could do commercial real estate in multiple states, so that was a whole new area that I'd never done before. I had to set up companies for each one of them that I bought. Ran into new laws interesting. Each state you go to has different real estate laws, different property tax laws, different insurance laws. And I had to learn those for each state that I was negotiating in. So there's a, a lot of learning going on, a lot of research, a lot of understanding that had to be had to be able to, to do these deals. But once I got my arms around the process, and I, I knew what I was up against, and I knew what a fair price would be, I started attacking it. And it was funny. At first, I was demanding that I was getting a, a certain rate of return. Very high rate of return. I'm not even going to say how high it is because I don't want to irritate you. But I to demanding to get a certain high, high rate of return. And so, a lot of the deals, that the brokers were just laughing at me. You can't get that rate of return. And yet, I did. The other thing I did was I only bought brand new grocery stores. I, every one of them that I bought had a 15-year beginning lease from a name brand company, a company that had been around for years and years and years and years, guaranteed by massive billion dollar corporations and every one of them were brand new. My thought was, if it's brand new, first of all, it's a triple net lease. That's another thing you got to learn. Where the landlord doesn't do anything. You pay none of the maintenance, none of the insurance, and none of the taxes. You do nothing except collect rent. So The money just comes in the door. It's just the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. But as I learned to do this, I, I came across this concept of, well, how do you inspect a brand new building? Because it's not like you go out there and you bring your inspector and you inspect. There's nothing there. I'm buying dirt and a construction contract to build a building. So now you've got to go through the construction phase, and you've got to get the construction reports weekly and pictures and sign-offs from the engineers for the, the location. In other words, whether it's a city or a county location that it's in, you have inspectors, city inspectors, county inspectors that have to sign off. And so you have to get all these things signed off and verified. You have to get the, land, the lease done with the major tenant, and all my grocery stores have one tenant in it, major tenant, every one of them. 15-year leases on every one of them, and I figured, you know, I'm 65 years old, 15 years from now, I'll be 80, and at that point, I'll just sell everything. I'm already so wealthy, it doesn't matter, but I'll just sell all that stuff and, you know, live the last one or two years of my life, whatever I've left. But it's just amazing the learning curve I had to go through. Now, just now, I'm at the end of the year. Now, I'm going back and trying to pay property taxes, and I never even bothered to realize this when I was buying these things, but... Each one of them is in a county. It's not just in a state. It's in a county. And there's probably 50 counties to every state, right? So I have to go find out what county they're in. And then I have to go find out what the taxing authority is in that county. And then I have to go look up this plot, this, this piece of real estate, and find out what's owed on the taxes and pay the taxes. Well, these are brand new buildings. They're not even on the tax rolls yet. So now I have to contact the taxing authorities and go, Hey, guys, we've got a building here now. We owe you some money. And some of them had already got it onto the tax rolls, but most of them didn't even have it. They had a piece of raw land that was owned by the the builder is all they had. So we had to get that all set up and put on there. I'm still going through that process. But by next year, I'll have all that down to where I just know I'll get a tax bill and I'll pay the tax bill. And that's it. Now, I said, I don't pay the tax bills. The way it works is on triple net leases. You pay the tax bill because you want to make sure it's paid, and then you take the bill back to the tenant, and the tenant pays you back for the taxes. The insurance, the tenant goes and buys the insurance, and then they come back and send you proof of insurance that you're on it. But in the taxes, you want to make sure they get paid on time. So I'm going through that process right now and learning that. Again, massive learning curve. But what did it do for me? Listen carefully. You may not believe this. But my seven grocery stores that I purchased last year increased my income by $100,000 a month. Not a year. A month. $100,000 a month of checks coming to my mailbox. In addition to all my other income from all my other apartment complexes and all my other real estate companies and all my other software companies and my consulting business. An extra $100,000 a month. I'm in the grocery store business. Isn't that wild? Just the way you would think it would be, right? Or not. Maybe you'd never think it would be. Maybe you'd never get out of your comfort zone and do something different. I thought it was necessary. But I knew that I had to take it slow. And by the way, I forgot to tell you, not only did I research it with the broker, I looked up every guy I knew that had ever bought grocery stores and got them out to lunch to get the first-hand knowledge of the do's and the don'ts.
0: Dell Wamsley offers some tips on a better
2: lifestyle. I put $2,000 down out of my pocket to buy a house. It was 10% down, which was 2,500, 500 to closing costs, which was 3,000. But the tenant, before I moved in, the broker had leased the house and he gave me a closing a check for $500 for the rent plus $500 for the security deposit. So I had $1,000, I only brought $2,000 to the table. That house today is worth over 150,000 bucks in excess of $150,000. I paid 25 for it. It's worth $125,000 more. Do the same calculation. $125,000 with income divided by $2,000 investment and it comes out to be a 6,250% return. The stock market was a 290% return over 22 years. The fixed rate annuity was 330% over that period of time. But this single family house had a rate of return of six thousand two hundred and fifty percent. It's not accurate. Why? Because did the stock market pay you any dividends every month? Did it pay you cash flow, positive cash flow every month? No. Did the fixed rate annuity pay you cash flow every month? No. And by the way, can you have an income rider on a fixed rate annuity? Yes. But if you do, then it's going to change the rest of what you get. We'll be right back with the Dell Wamsey Radio Show.
0: Welcome back. Now, here's some more unconventional wisdom to set you free. From the man on a mission to retire America, one person at a time, Del Wamsley.
2: Welcome back to Del Wamsley Radio Show. Today, we are discussing slow is fast, fast is slow, and how to start a new project. And this segment, we're on to the third project. And that third project is re-outfitting my entire shop with all new giant industrial tools. What's interesting is is that I make more and more money every year. And I don't tell you that to impress you, but to impress upon you that the reality is you should make more money every year the rest of your life. And I have made more money every year for the rest of my life uh, up until this point in my life. And I intend to keep doing it because every year as I make more money, I don't really have any more needs. I live in the same house I've lived in for 12 years now. And, you know, it was a beautiful, incredible home when I bought it. And it's still a beautiful, incredible home and really I don't need anything larger than sixteen thousand square feet and I don't need more than a twenty car garage. So I'm pretty much satiated. So the bottom line is you keep making more money and think to yourself, Well, what am I gonna do with all this money? And What I do is just buy more businesses. And when I buy more businesses, I make more money. And then I ask myself the next year, what am I going to do with all this money? And I inevitably take most of it, you know, 90% of it and buy more businesses. But, you know, that that 10% of that very, very large number is getting to be a large number itself. And so, you know, I I buy my wife just about anything she wants. In fact, she gets anything she wants. And the bottom line is is that one day I was sitting there going, "Jill, you don't like clothes. You don't like jewelry. You don't like cars. You don't like boats. You don't like motorhomes. What do you want? What would you like to spend some money? And I realize, you know, I buy. I realize this. I for my wife's birthday, I bought her two purses. These two purses, the price of them added together, was enough money. I realized this to buy every piece of industrial tool that I wanted. I mean, to refit my entire shop. And my tools are between ten and twenty years old. But tools never wear out. I mean, if you buy good quality tools, they never wear out. So I've got all these tools that are they're good. I'd say top-of-the-line hobbyist tools. That's the way I'd categorize them. If you go to a hobby shop for tools and woodworking and metalworking and stuff, I've got the best, the the top-of-the-line hobbyist tools. I said, but I realized I could replace all those hobbyist tools, every one of them, with industrial-grade tools going up from like 1.5 horsepower motors up to 5 horsepower motors going from like, you know, a 6-inch joiner to a 12-inch joiner, 8-inch planer to a 20-inch planer, you know, that kind of stuff. Just massive step up in size and quality and power. I can do all that for the price of these two purses. I go, my gosh. And that's what I decided, you know what, Dell? Just buy yourself something. So, I decided I was going to refit my entire shop, and I got everything brand new again. I mean, unbelievable. But as I did it, I had to do a lot of research. I, I didn't know what was the best tools to buy, so I went around to tool shops and spent hours talking to guys about tools and looked at stuff and researched on the internet. Again, we could, where do we start? We start with the internet researching. Where, where do we start? We start with talking to people. So, you talk to people that are experts at what you're trying to start. You got to get around those kind of people because they will tell you the stuff you don't know you don't know. In other words, as you proceed... You are going to look for the information you know you need, but you don't know the information you don't know that you need. That's so hard to say, but so absolutely on point. And you've got to get out and meet people so they can tell you what you don't know and what what should I be looking for? What are the important aspects of this? And then you can drop into the YouTube videos. And if you watch enough of them, you'll get a pretty good idea. But then again, you start with writing down terms and sizes and companies and the stuff you need to know. And then you go research each one of those things, whatever it is you write down, you put 20 things down a piece of paper, you need to go spend another five hours on each one of those 20 things, maybe, or maybe a couple hours, maybe an hour in each one and find out what those are in depth. Because when you go down that rabbit hole, that's when you find out the stuff you don't know, you don't know. And so I did all that and I got all these incredible, then finally came down to a company that sells without the middleman. They sell wholesale tools. you got to buy right from the company. What does that do? That allows you to buy twice the tool for the same price. And it blew my mind how much bigger a machine I could get for the same price that these hobbyist tools were by buying wholesale from the builder themselves. And so, I picked out the machines I wanted, and I ordered all of them. And I found out that the ordering process for this kind of stuff was much more complicated than anything I'd ever run into. And so, I ordered the equipment, and then I started to think, okay, what do I do when a 1,200, 1,800-pound tool gets here, a machine gets here? I started to think about, okay, I'm going to need a hoist, and I had to go research hoists and where I could buy them and get them. I researched getting a a jack, getting a dolly, getting a crate dolly, um, and so I had to research all that stuff, and I did finally figured out by watching youtube videos that there's ways to get around using that stuff by using levers and stuff i could move the equipment get a few guys to help me move some of the stuff with levers and and leverage and so forth and so i went through and did all this stuff right got all this stuff done the tools arrived i talked to truck oh i called the truck company also and said could i get your guy to take and have a i need a lift to get it off the truck because I don't have a bay. Most of this industrial stuff is delivered right to somebody has a, a truck bay where you drive the truck up and it slides right off. But I said, I need a lift. And so they, they got me a lift truck. And I got the guy with his pallet jack to take the tools into my shop with his pallet jack. Gave him extra money for doing so. And then I proceeded to take these things apart. And then I found out something I didn't realize. Industrial machines do not come put together. You have to put them together. And here in live, because I'm running out of time here for this show, I've got to take you really quickly to the end result of all this. The end result was I had to build these pieces of equipment. I had to figure out how to build them. I had to get the tools to build them. I had to get the lubricants to build them. And they didn't come with cords because industrial equipment is usually hardwired in right there at the shop. So, my friends, this is one I hadn't researched well enough. Now
0: from the files of Dell Wamsley.
2: We're in a situation right now where people are buying assets, big assets, large apartment complexes, expensive homes, massive amounts of real estate as a hedge. And what are they hedging? They're hedging inflation, because real estate is a inflation hedged asset. It goes up when everything else goes up. Now, the reason why real estate is so good as a hedge is because unlike gold, which may go up and down with the, the value, as inflation occurs, it doesn't put off any income. And so real estate is producing income. It's producing rental income for the people that are doing it the right way. So whether or not my asset goes up or whether it doesn't, I'm hedged because I'm going to get income either way. Now, if there's massive inflation, then my asset keeps up with inflation. It's not the money. It's the lifestyle. Have a wonderful day.